0: But ultimately, it's really about how good can you feel and when you are feeling your best, who are you? Because when you feel your best, you're capable of anything. When you wake up in a good mood, you have an optimistic view. You're capable of anything. But if you wake up with anxiety or depression, the world looks a lot different.
1: Hello, you're listening to the Real Health Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ebony May, and this is an interview with Dr. Sarah De Francesco. Dr. Sarah is a naturopathic doctor licensed in acupuncture and expert in holistic solutions for anxiety, digestive problems like IBS, and its impact on brain health. Dr. Sarah helps women struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, fatigue, brain fog, and digestive problems feel their best through a synergy of holistic medicine, functional testing, and mind-body tools, customized to uncover and heal the overlooked causes that prevent you from being well. Please enjoy this interview with Dr. Sarah Francesco. Dr. Sarah, welcome to the Real Health Real Talk podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for having me. First, I would love to ask, what does real health mean to you?
0: So real health to me is about freedom because when we don't have our health, we're really limited. And few people realize that health is the one thing that everything else in their life really hinges on until they get sick. And then that's why it's such a painful experience because in most cultures right now, we just don't have you know, the, the, um, I guess, the knowledge or really the structure to think about health as something that we need to protect and something that we need to educate ourselves about. We are just sort of going through our lives. And then when we get sick, it is just such a, a huge deal for people because in general, our society is not giving this health education upfront. So then when people get sick, they're really surprised. And then all of a sudden, especially when we're talking about anxiety and brain health and mood issues, it not only takes away people's ability to go out and do the things that they want because they're feeling fatigue or they're not getting sleep at night, but also makes them feel shame and it makes them feel like they're not good enough. And it really takes away their confidence. And when that happens, we have brilliant, intuitive women out there who, when they don't have the health that they want, their freedom and their ability to show up in their lives as that smart, uh, intense, passionate person, it goes away. And Mm -hmm. so to me, health is really about freedom. It's not about looking the best. It's not about being perfect. It's not about, you know, having the perfect lab values it and all those things might be great. They might be part of, you know, your goals for some of you who are listening, but ultimately it's really about how good can you feel and when you are feeling your best, who are you? Because when you feel your best, you're capable of anything. When you wake up in a good mood, you have an optimistic view you're capable of anything. But if you wake up with anxiety or depression, the world looks a lot different. So that's what it is to me.
1: Yeah, that's, I find that really, really interesting. I ask every guest and yeah, that's a really unique answer. I'd like to now just touch on a little, well, for you to touch on a little bit about what you do and I suppose how you got into your career.
0: Oh, sure. So I'm a naturopathic doctor and licensed acupuncturist. And so I work with people, primarily women, who are dealing with chronic health issues. And I really have a passion for helping people who have mood issues especially anxiety and panic attacks, because it's something that I actually experienced myself. And I went through, you know, naturopathic doctors, functional medicine practitioners, acupuncturists, and they all helped me to the best of their ability. But there's a lot of gaps in even holistic care when it comes to anxiety, and a lot of things are overlooked. So for me, this all began actually when I was already in medical school. So I had already made the choice to become a doctor and I actually have panic attacks that run on one side of my family. So there is a genetic unknown factor that was there. And um, usually in my family, people did not develop panic attacks until they were much older, but I was the first one to go to medical school on that side of the family. So um i was the first one to experience that intense pressure of medical school the sleepless nights the long hours of studying and even though i was there to learn to help other people be healthy i was put in a situation that's you know by nature unhealthy for that period of time right um mm-hmm. so i developed anxiety and panic attacks uh in my mid 20s um actually no later 20s because i was 27 when i started school and um It was so scary and it was, I felt so ashamed. And I just remember feeling like I would just do anything to have a digestive disorder that happened in the bathroom instead of anxiety, which happened in front of my friends, in front of my colleagues, in front of my teachers. Um, Mm -hmm. It was terrifying. And so, you know, I tried things like different supplements and different herbs um, but none of my doctors really asked the question that I ask now with all of my patients. And that is, why did this happen in the first place? Because it's one thing to say, hey, you have anxiety, maybe something like L-theanine or GABA or chamomile or lavender, you know, all these things that can calm anxiety. It's one thing to say, hey, you have anxiety, maybe this would help, right? Because we all need a band aid, And especially if you have anxiety, You want to get some relief quick, and that's very Mm. important. But we also have to ask, why would this happen in the first place? Why would the body do this? Because the body is never wrong, and our symptoms are not trying to hurt us. Our symptoms are there to just tell us, hey, there's an alert here. We need to check out what's going on and give the body what it needs. So, you know, I went through this for several years, and then finally I found that my root causes were actually – that I had celiac disease, which is why it ran in my family. And then others in my family confirmed that they also have celiac disease. Um, I also found out about how the brain is affected when there's a traumatic brain injury and how this causes gut inflammation and brain inflammation, something I had never learned about in medical school. So I learned that later in um, my postdoctorate work. In my continuing education and for me i had also had a traumatic brain injury when i was a kid in a horseback riding accident so you know these are the types of things like these genetic disorders or these things that happened way back when that you you don't think are connected to what's going on with your health now Um, these are the things that our practitioners really need to be listening for Um, for me, another thing that was going on was I actually had a, I I had chronic digestive inflammation, even though I didn't have any overt digestive symptoms. So there's also this huge gut brain connection, which we'll talk about today. And so for anyone who's listening out there, you know, when you're looking for a holistic practitioner, um, you want to know not only that they have skills in nutrition and lifestyle and can coach you through all of that and get you the right diet and the right plan. Um, you you not only wanna know that they have experience with supplements if they're recommending them and they know how to make you a customized plan, but you also, I think most importantly, want to know that the practitioner is really looking for the root cause and they're asking you questions about, when did this start? When was the last time you felt well? Um, you know, what was your health like as a child? What were some of the major, um, you know, issues for you as a child? Because just using myself as a case study here, I never thought of myself as an unhealthy person until all of a sudden I had anxiety and panic attacks. And I went, well, where is this coming from? This is weird. I thought I was perfectly healthy because in my head, I hadn't connected, you um, the horseback riding accident, the traumatic brain injury, because at that time there was no education about that, even for doctors. It was like, okay, if you check out at the emergency room, you're good, right? No, and mm-hmm. nobody ever talks about that. Um, so, yeah, we have to dig deeper, and we and we really have to do better. So for me, I use all of my naturopathic and you know acupuncture and Chinese medicine training, and really infused it with my own experience because me as a patient, I saw the gap that was there because everyone just wanted to calm me down. But no one took the time to understand why my nervous system could not be calm. And that's the question we really have to ask when we're dealing with anxiety.
1: So you said that you saw quite a few professionals at that time, How? and I know that you, a lot of your practice is looking at things holistically. Did you have to do that for yourself when you were the patient or how did you come to look at that and, you know, tie in the celiac disease and your horseback riding accident? How did that come to be? Yeah.
0: So um, because I was a medical student at the time, it was a collaborative effort. So it was like, okay, my doctors were helping me. They were making their suggestions. But actually, none of them tested me for celiac disease. None of them connected that gluten is a problem to the brain. Um, And I had not yet tried to remove gluten from my diet. And I totally was one of those people who thought... Oh yeah, that's a fad diet. I mean, we're talking. This is like ten years ago now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, it was quite a long, maybe twelve years ago. Um, it's quite a long time ago now. And so it was, you know, even more of, you know, people were skeptical about it then. And I was certainly one of those skeptics. So I was, you know, the classic patient who thinks I was trying everything. I was taking all the supplements and going to my doctor's appointments. Um, But I really hadn't looked at gut health and I hadn't looked at some of the root causes. And what few people know about gluten, so whether you have celiac disease or whether you have a gluten sensitivity, so to back up for a moment, celiac disease is when you actually have autoimmunity. So that is when if you are exposed to gluten or wheat, then what happens is your immune system starts to attack your small intestine mucosa. So the lining of your small intestine. And um, if you think that that might be going on for you, you can talk to your practitioner about ordering a blood screening test, which is the first step to diagnose celiac disease. And from there, if they, if your blood test comes back positive, then your doctor will recommend the next step, which in the standard of care is to um, get a scope and a biopsy to actually look at the small intestine and biopsy it and see if they can see the signs of celiac disease, which would be the um, mucosa actually looking like it's breaking apart. So it causes the tight junctions of the small intestine to pull apart. So that's celiac disease. Now, say you get the celiac disease screening on the blood test and it's it's negative. So there's lots of false negatives, meaning it's not a very good test. So a lot of people take it and then they say, oh, well, it came back negative, so gluten is not a problem for me. So that's not true. Once you have the celiac disease test, even if it's negative, then you wanna to talk to your practitioner about potentially cutting out gluten for a period of time to see if you feel better. So lots of people will come back celiac disease negative, but then when they uh, actually uh, they take out gluten for 21 days or more, they'll actually feel better. And this is gluten sensitivity. Now what's important to know is there's no difference between celiac disease And gluten sensitivity in terms of the symptoms that you feel so you could um, have very severe symptoms and and not have celiac disease not have the autoimmunity but actually have the gluten sensitivity Um, and you could have more mild symptoms and actually have the celiac disease so um, you know the symptoms are different for every person and this gets overlooked a lot because no one looked in my case for instance And no one looks in a lot of cases that, you know, come to me in my clinic because um, they hadn't looked before because the person didn't have overt digestive symptoms. Now, with anxiety, the reason that gluten is such a problem is through the gut's influence on brain health and nutrition and inflammation. There can be a lot of um, inflammation that is communicated to the brain through the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve connects the brain and the gut. But also, another mechanism is that gluten really agitates the thyroid, and if the thyroid is not working well, that can also cause mood issues and brain health issues, especially anxiety and depression. And then the third one that um, I rarely hear talked about, and this is really overlooked, is that gluten can also directly agitate inflammation In the cerebellum and the cerebellum is part of your brain that is all about balance now we think of it mostly in terms of the balance in um, in terms of the physical balance so this is what's being tested if you ever see someone who is taking a drunk driving test and they have to prove that they can walk in a straight line and that they have coordinated movement and all of that but That's only 80% of what the cerebellum does, or I'm sorry, that's only 20% of what the cerebellum does. The other 80% is all about how it coordinates emotions and thoughts through the limbic system and through the frontal lobe. So there's three basic science mechanisms by which gut inflammation, digestive issues, gluten sensitivity, and celiac disease can cause anxiety and depression, and few people really know that. So, um, you know, this is again, why it's very important to work with a practitioner um, or be educated about these root causes so that you know what to look for.
1: I want to just backtrack a little bit. You were speaking about when you did have those um, those panic attacks when, when they were first starting to happen. You experienced a lot of shame around that, especially because it wasn't something that was happening in privacy. It was something that was happening in public. What sort of helped you to get over that shame or process that in a way? Yeah, so actually some of the first things that
0: I tried were mind body techniques. So I learned what my triggers were. And this is something that I teach my patients as well. It's like, okay, what are your triggers? When are you more likely to experience it? And then how can we build a plan around that? um, So that you are basically calming yourself leading up to that event, you have extra tools at your disposal during the event. And you can start retraining your brain that this is not some, this is not a trigger, but this is actually your happy place. Eventually, that's where we want it to go. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so a lot of things that I see out there are a lot about avoidance, and that can definitely help at first. So I would be triggered. um, I mean, mainly my panic attacks would happen with a sort of constellation of things going on um, if I was. Uh, run down from not getting enough sleep, studying too much, sick, high pressure, tons of tests in a week, you know, it was kind of like that was the magic formula. So for me, because the the test time itself could be anxiety provoking, I would do things like um, I would wait until everyone had taken their seat. I would avoid the nervous chatter about the test and being prepared for the test before it. Um, so I would just avoid... You know, other people's anxiety (laughs) leading up to the situation. And then I would um, practice grounding the room. So I would imagine that in, I would imagine the four corners of the room and imagine that this was a safe space and really grounding the room before I walked in. So in my mind, I use this technique to make the room a safe space. Um, Before I would go in and that really helped so one of the common um, Issues with panic attacks is that once you have one you're often Afraid of having one again because it's so uncomfortable and so embarrassing and so inconvenient and for anyone who's ever had a panic attack um, you know often people will experience sort of like the panic hangover Um, so it's like you have the event and then you're just not right for the rest of the day. Um, and then sometimes the next day it's like, oh my gosh, like I just still don't feel like myself. Um, so what can be helpful is to create tools to make sure that we can avoid a panic attack and make people feel confident that they'll be able to avoid them. Of course, this is, you know, technique that we use while we're working on the root causes because again, With anxiety and panic, we have to make sure that we get the relief up front. And then we, um, you know, work on the chronic issues and imbalances that are causing it long term so that people no longer have to just rely on these tools. But they're they're very important and very effective in the beginning. So um, we have to find the thing that makes you that um, makes you feel a bit more calm. So in the beginning, for people, sometimes that is, um, you know, certain herbs like ashwagandha or skullcap, which is a calming herb. So ashwagandha is an adaptogen, and um, we do have some studies about it being calming for anxiety. And then there's also a class of herbs called nervine herbs. So skullcap and passion flower, um, they are all types of nervines that calm the nervous system. Um, so we have to find something that works acutely for people, meaning that if they start to feel anxious, they can take it and they'll feel a little bit better. And in the beginning, that might be medication for people. Um, if they've been using that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I want to make sure to say that is, um, there's nothing wrong with using, uh, medication if you need to. And you know most people who come into my office, they've been using medication and they keep increasing the medication, but it's just not working for them. Um, they're not getting the relief that they want, so they're they're seeking another approach. So sometimes, if um, say someone is already prescribed to an uh, anti anxiety medication that they can take acutely for panic, um, what we'll have them do is carry. The medication or the supplement whatever it is that they need with them and just one dose in a little box especially if it's you know capsules or something like that and sometimes just knowing that they have it on their person and when they start to feel anxious they can actually reach in their pocket and touch it and know that they have it if they need to take it um, they can actually in the case of the medications shake the bottle And that will sometimes calm themselves down, just knowing that, hey, you know what? The worst case scenario is that I take my supplement or I take my medication, it's all going to be fine. So, you know, really um, creating behaviors like that where um, we are prepared for the moment and there's things that we can do to interrupt that moment. So, that's number one. Um, You know, the next thing is to, Um, use some of these mind body techniques. So grounding the room, um, which, you know, basically how you would do that is imagine the four corners of the room and pulling them all in and taking all of that anxious energy and letting it just go right down into the core of the earth and just leave the room and be dissipated um also imagining like if you're anxious about something in particular imagine that thing or that person that's that is agitating you a little bit in a bubble and just pop the bubble and then pop the bubble again so we can sort of um you know use some of those tools um and then another one that's really helpful is to make sure that um you start to use your other senses. So uh, a lot of times it's like we get these racing thoughts that are happening and you can actually disrupt that with number one, your breath. So you can start breathing, matching your inhale to your exhale nice and slow and then go ahead and, you know, feel something near you smell something near you, see something near you. So there's a game of fives where you can name five things for each of the five senses. And that can actually take you out of it and distract you. And then my favorite, if it's possible, now I coach people a lot (laughs) through doing things like flying and going through the airport. So this is not always possible. Um, but if it is then then getting outside and getting your bare feet on the ground can really dissipate the anxiety because it actually gives you uh, a boost of um, antioxidants through your um, through the touch to the ground and this can really help people and and also energetically it just has a grounding effect so there's lots of things that we can do and actually, One of the things that I know we'll link in this podcast is I have a guide for everyone about my five best strategies to to calm anxiety instantly, because that's definitely the first step in getting a hold of anxiety. So we can definitely share that. Um, But the key thing is for people to experiment with these different mind-body techniques to find the ones that work best for them. And then we actually build a specific formula for each person so that they know when they get into these situations exactly what works from that, for them and um, exactly how to stack these mind-body tools to get the best effect and avoid having that panic. And it also uh, really works because, again, once you've had a panic attack, it's so scary it makes you more anxious thinking about, oh my God, I'm, that might happen again. And what if that happens at work? What if that happens when I'm you know, trying to get on a plane and I have to go somewhere? Something like that. That can be extremely anxiety provoking. So when we um, create a routine for that person, now they can feel like, oh, I have a tool that will help me avoid this situation. It will help me calm my panic attack. And I want to be clear, too, because we really don't want to suppress panic attacks that can actually make people feel worse. Because um, for some people, it's like, oh, my gosh, my anxiety has been building, 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 and then boom, panic attack. And even though it's awful and terrible, they may feel a little bit better afterwards. It's almost like a catharsis. So we don't want to suppress because that can make people, um, you know, feel, feel worse, especially people who are highly sensitive. So we want to make sure that we're working with the body, we're working with things that help people feel like they're discharging and moving the energy out and balancing the nervous system, instead of suppressing the nervous system, except in the case where it's necessary, you know, for people to use a medication. And that's an okay place to start, we just have to figure out what's going to work for them long term.
1: Okay, so I love that you touched on a few strategies there. I want to draw back a little bit to something else that you were mentioning. So obviously a lot of your practice goes back to the root cause and you were able to, when you sort of thought about it, you sort of had these few things that you could think, oh, maybe that's, you know, part of the root cause. Maybe all of those add up together. What about for some people who are experiencing anxiety, who can't really think of any other reason why they, they, they can't find their root cause?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think there's three stages to healing anxiety. And this is what I really want to teach people because there's things you can do right this moment. Like some of the mind body tools we just talked about, you can do them right now while you're listening to this podcast. And that's actually what's so cool about the nervous system is that the nervous system can respond instantly. So you can calm your anxiety with your breath and you're actually doing that through the vagus nerve, and so you're actually benefiting both your digestive health and your brain by doing that. And so we have to get the anxiety under control right away with these mind-body tools and with you know certain supplements and strategies like that. Um, the next step, step number two, is to get the nutrition in order. And the reason for that is one of the most common causes of anxiety is blood sugar issues. And the reason that is, is because when our blood sugar is too high, too low, but most often what I see is it might be normal on the blood work in terms of the standard range, but it's not optimal. Um, And these are people who have a totally normal hemoglobin A1C. So they're not pre-diabetic, they're not diabetic, Um, although if, you know, you are suffering from either of those conditions then that can exacerbate anxiety absolutely but for a lot of people they don't have any frank um, blood sugar issues or any diagnoses around diabetes um, but what they do have is they have a functional fluctuation of blood sugar that is causing a problem so when blood sugar fluctuates you know when we think about blood sugar being too high what is happening there is then insulin comes and takes the uh, glucose out of the blood and goes to store it. So everyone has probably heard about that. But what you may not have heard is that when blood sugar is too low, it's actually cortisol, which is our stress hormone, that comes to the rescue. So when the reason that is important is because cortisol is going to make you is going to you know basically. Um, you know, release this spike of glucose into the circulation and it can cause anxiety, racing heart, racing thoughts, you know, this energy, this frenetic energy that people feel because cortisol is there to keep you safe and get you out of a situation when you are in danger. So it gives you, it puts you into that fight or flight mode of your uh, nervous system and this is a major cause of anxiety that few people realize. So when the blood sugar is not stable throughout the day and not balanced throughout the day, this is going to cause higher cortisol. It's going to cause blood sugar fluctuations. It's going to cause insomnia, trouble sleeping, whether that's falling asleep or staying asleep. And then it's this vicious cycle because the the less... You sleep and, you know, the lower your sleep quality, the worse your blood sugar is. The worse your blood sugar is, the more, you know, cortisol you're going to have. And then, you know, the more cortisol you have, the more anxiety you're going to have. So they all affect each other. And so one of the best ways is to actually start getting your nutrition in order. Make sure that you're eating enough protein at each meal so I recommend for my patients that they do 28 grams of protein at each meal. So that's about you know three and a half to four ounces um, of animal protein at each meal to keep everything nice and steady. And also getting enough fiber so that you know you are um, so that you are digesting your uh, glucose and kind of slowing that absorption a bit. So we need to, you know, step two is to get into the nutrition, make sure we're balancing the blood sugar. And then also make sure that we are um, covering all of the nutrient deficiencies that could be an issue. So common nutrient deficiencies with anxiety are iron, especially for women, um, if you're experiencing a heavy menses, then iron is something that may be deficient for you and can cause anxiety also B12, B6, folate, magnesium, and also zinc. So these are things that we can get in whole foods. So we can get our magnesium from our leafy greens. We can get iron from you know red meat and also cooking in cast iron skillets or using the cast iron fish in your soups. Um, and then the B12 um, also from meat and then the folate also from greens. So we really need to get the nutrition in order. For a lot of people, that may be everything that they need. So using the mind-body tools in step one, and then in step two, making sure that they have all of their nutrition in order, which also is really going to balance out hormones for them. Um, So I actually have a course coming out, um, which is everything that my patients do in the first 30 days of working with me. So. You know, the third step is really to work with a practitioner if steps one and two are not working. Um, Because if you've been doing all these things with your nutrition and working on your lifestyle and removing toxins from your environment, but you're still not getting where you want to go, then now it's really time to look at, well, what is going on for you personally? Because, um, you know, for some people, maybe it really is their food and maybe it's gluten for them and iron deficiency and all these types of things that could be balanced out with a healthy diet, but maybe their iron deficiency is actually so severe that they need, you know, iron supplementation or they need to really balance out their hormones to stop the heavy menses and stop, you know, losing iron all the time. So then we have to really get into what's going on for the individual, Um, And that's where I like to do blood testing to look for nutrient deficiencies and look at what's going on with the immune system and inflammatory markers. Um, And then we also will do digestive health testing. So I love to do a stool panel for people because a lot of times when there's anxiety and, and chronic inflammation, a lot of times it's actually coming from... Um, you know, bacterial infections, yeast infections, parasites, and sometimes even worms. So, you know, from from there, you know, if the nutrition and lifestyle hasn't gotten you to where you want to go, you may need more guidance to work with a practitioner, and you may need some of these, you know, advanced testing and someone to really look at your case and figure out what the root cause is for you. But there's certainly a lot of things that you can get started with on your own.
1: I think that that's really empowering. I think having anxiety is quite disempowering. So the fact that you can feel like you're there's things that you can do yourself and that you've got almost a checklist to sort of go through process of elimination is really, really great. And I think something tangible that listeners today can take away. Um, so thank you for talking about that. At the time of recording, there's a lot going on. And I think, you know, a lot of people are working from home. If you're not working from home, perhaps you're, you know, you're still not being able to see your friends. You might have lost your job. So all of those are quite anxiety-inducing situations. So what advice would you give for those people?
0: Yeah, so I think it's important to note. So here in the United States, anxiety is the number one um, cause of disability among adults. And I think the statistic is now somewhere between 40 to 50 million plus people um, are dealing with anxiety. But even more than that will experience anxiety at some point in their life. Um, And that is because there's a lot of things in life that can trigger feeling anxious, whether or not you deal with chronic anxiety. So it's kind of, strange because it's something that makes people feel alone and embarrassed and ashamed. But yet everyone has been there at some point. It's just people don't talk about it. And that's part of the stigma of quote unquote, mental illness. And that really is such an outdated concept, because in truth, there's really no such thing as a mental illness in the sense of well, you just have this and so you're stuck with it. And, you know, a lot of people really believe that anxiety is like their lot in life or like their unfortunate genetic destiny. And a lot of people are told, well, you'll just have to manage it, but you have to live with it. Um, And that's absolutely not the case. Um, So we really need to remove that stigma of mental illness and say, you know what, there's events in your life that can induce feeling anxious. And there's also what we've been talking about so far is all the internal chaos of, you know, hormonal imbalance, blood sugar imbalance, nervous system imbalance that leads to anxiety even when there's not seemingly something to feel anxious about. So we have to make sure that we're, you know, taking care of our internal um triggers for anxiety, just as much as we are being aware of and taking care of our external triggers for anxiety. So this is a unique moment. Um, Certainly, I mean, this is a unique moment in the history of the planet. And I mean, no one alive has ever lived through anything like this. Uh, And there's, it's very anxiety provoking, because all of a sudden, um, people need to be home to be safe, and uh, they're not able to see their loved ones. So, you know, my parents live on the other side of the country. I don't know when I'll get to see them again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's happening for so many people. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty whether someone will in their family or friend circle will get sick, Uh, a lot of financial uncertainty and stress, Um, a lot of, you know, scary news going on, everybody's looking at how, you know, their uh, government is going to deal with this and how much help they're going to get, and then everyone's stuck at home, and all of a sudden, you know, for a lot of my patients, it's like they may if they're able to work from home, you know, they have to work from home and take care of the kids in this moment. And, you know, maybe mom and dad are working from home on the computer and trying to get the kids on their lessons on the computer with their teacher. And it's a lot to handle. It's absolutely so much to handle. So, you know, the one thing that I think we can look at as a silver lining is that we're in a collective experience. So most of the time, we feel separate, we feel like, man, my problems are unique to me, and my feelings and emotions are unique to me. And there must be something wrong with me, because everybody else seems to have it together. And that's a lie, first of all. And then it's like, okay, well, now everybody's unfortunately in this situation we're all in it together and I think the one silver lining is that we are seeing people just have to be real with that and we're seeing people kind of let down their guard and discussing their anxiety and discussing you know what they're going through because it's relatable it's not it's almost like there's this opportunity to just let down your guard and um let the shame go and realize, wow, I didn't know my neighbor who seems like Mr. Perfect, like he has anxiety too, or he has, you know, he has some of the stuff going on, whatever that may be. Um, So it's a unique moment. And so it is a unique opportunity um, for us to look at the things that are most important in our lives and, um, you know, look at how can we be connected even though we're isolated. So I think during this time, it's really important to be as virtually social as you can. Um, And even though you can't be with people physically, you know, you can use online tools like Zoom or Google Hangouts to see your family to see your friends. And I really encourage everybody you know, to do that. I mean, make a weekly get together. So you see each other, you can, um, some of my family has figured out how to play cards together, uh, Mm -hmm. long distance. So, um, it's very important to be social because we are social creatures and being isolated can drive even more of these mood issues. And, you know, uh, being isolated can actually, um, But, you know, it's not good for our health. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, But it is good for our health right in this moment. That's very, very important, right? Um, So, what I think is important, especially if you are dealing with anxiety um, at this time and maybe it has worsened because your circumstances have changed and you may have a lot more on your plate and you may have a lot more stress going on, um, it's still important to practice your mind body tools. And something that I've been doing every morning, that really helps and I encourage everyone to try it is before I even get out of bed, I just put my hand on my heart and I just breathe in and out 10 times. I just focus on my breath. And then I just start talking out loud to myself, I'm, I'm grateful for my dog. I'm grateful for this safe home. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my patients. And I just start listing my gratitudes. Um, so making sure that you wake up and you go into some sort of very simple mind body practice is really important right now. And what you're doing is you're retraining your brain you're retraining your brain to focus on the positive in a moment that is not inherently positive. And that takes work and dedication, but it is possible. It's really important that you do that right now because everybody's at home and they're they're, uh, tuned into the news. And there's a lot of scary, very bad news going on right now. And yes, stay informed. But don't stay glued to your TV. Um, You know, do your mind-body practice. Do your gratitudes. Yes, this is a stressful moment. It is scary. Absolutely. I'm not sugarcoating anything. But I am saying that in the face of, you know, such um, a dire situation globally, we really have to prioritize taking care of ourselves and of our nervous system. Because when you turn on the news and you see what's going on, absolutely, that spikes your cortisol right there. And that's leading to an imbalance that may cause sleeplessness and the blood sugar issue and the, you know, uh, the anxiety the next day. So it's a vicious cycle. So, um, you know, the other, I think the other part is take a moment, take an hour, do what you need to do, watch the news and cry you know, let it out. Like, this is not about, Hey, you just have to be happy all the time. And we're just gonna, you know, put mind body tool band-aids over things that are scary and things that are real and things that we need to be paying attention to. Um, so if you need to let it out, schedule that time too. Um schedule a time to just let it out and cry, schedule a time to, you know, make sure that you can bring your nervous system back to where it needs to be. So that you can show up for the people in your life. Um, Something else that is really important is to just be moving your body a little bit. So, you know, exercise is one of the best things you can possibly do for anxiety. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, I love to do squats. That's one of the things I love to teach patients is just do 10 to 20 squats per day. Um, it's not a whole lot, but it does exercise your legs and there's, you know, some research that suggests maybe the leg exercises are some of the most beneficial to the brain. So that's pretty awesome. Um, you could do your squats and do your gratitude at the same time. So I love to stack tools like that so they can be efficient for people. Um, and then, you know, if you have a favorite exercise that you like to do, certainly engage in that. Um, But it doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes it's like, why don't you just turn on some really fun dance music and just go nuts and just get your heart rate up because that's going to get you back into an elevated state. And so we need to really balance this moment that that is unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, I, I almost don't know what word to use for it as I'm saying this right now it's like there's there's it's just so huge um but what we can do is we can choose moments to rebalance ourselves and bring ourselves back to feeling safe and and that's what this is all about is you have to tell your body that you are safe you have to train your brain that you are safe you know stay home do social distancing you know you Where I live, it depends on where you live. But where I live right now, we're allowed to go walking outside, but we still have to stay six feet away from people, you know, so getting outside if you can um, and just making sure to be nice to yourself. Don't overlook that power um, because there's a lot of like, oh, my gosh, I'm home and now I'm going to like clean everything out and do start a new yoga practice and like be perfect and awesome. And, you know, if you are able to do that, that's great. But, also, like let's be real about the time that we're in and not um, put, you know, don't put unnecessary expectations on yourself. Like some days you're gonna wake up and you're just gonna rock everything, and it's life is gonna be great. And some days you're gonna get up and you, you might have a cry a couple times that day. And that's okay because I think the other part of this, you know larger conversation is we don't want to make feeling bad wrong. Like having a day where you're worried or you're feeling down because of something that's going on, that's, that's okay. That's healthy and normal. What is a problem is when people get stuck there and they don't want to feel that way anymore and they don't know how to get out. That's when we need to take action. But it is normal to have ups and downs of mood. We just want to know how we can get back to feeling our best. Even if we need to take a moment to really process some serious, heavy emotion, I think we need to move that out because if you hold it in, especially for, you know, people who are highly sensitive, it just, um, it it builds up and can have a really negative effect.
1: So Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today and covering those things. Um, For those who don't already follow you, would you like to just say where they can find you?
0: Sure. So you can always find me at drdefrancesco.com. And DeFrancesco is D-E-F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-O. So it's drdfrancesc And And um, one of my favorite places to hang out is on Instagram. So I love to share my insights there. And then we'll also um, send you guys a link to the anxiety relief quick start guide, where I actually walk you through the three steps that we talked about. So there's things that you can do immediately as soon as you download it. There's suggestions on how you can start improving your nutrition. And I get into the specifics about gluten right away. Um, And then, you know, there's education on, okay, well, if that doesn't work, what are some of the things that might be going on? And how do we look at those? So you can check that out. Um, and yeah, if you guys have questions, come on over to my Instagram and shoot me, uh, you know, some questions. I'm happy to answer them. And, uh, I look forward to connecting with all of you.
1: Beautiful. And I'll link all of those below. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Real Health Real Talk podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a review or a rating. If you want to hear or see more from me, follow me on Instagram at EbonyMayHealth. I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Until then, I wish you happiness and real health.